there in your bulletin. Well, we are cruising now and started on a new series. And this week's, I mean, this month's series is forward. Because around Celebration Church, we have, we're guided by a couple of questions. Where are we and which way forward from here? God wants to carry us, you and I, forward. So we're looking at how to move forward in God. And see, to truly move forward in God, we have to start. We have to always go, go from this day. Resurrection Day, the one we're celebrating today, the fact that there is new life in Christ. We have to move from this day forward. So many times we want to get pulled back into our old self and all this old junk and try to relive that. No, no, no. Once we're in Christ, we're new creations. And we move from Resurrection Day, from this day, new life forward. And that's what we're talking about today is about moving from this day forward. Now, we all kind of can hit some bumps in the, as we're moving forward in Christ. And there are three major areas that keep us from moving forward. And I'm about to share with you a, a very pe special piece of my life where God really helped me understand God's grace in such a wonderful, wonderful, beautiful way. So please hold with me. We're going to cover all this, believe it or not. When I was 15 years old, of course, any 15-year-old is thinking about two things, one of them being cars, and uh, they and it just wanted, I wanted, couldn't wait to get a hold of a car. Whenever I was 16, that was coming up. Now, all growing up, I talk about you know wanting to have a Lamborghini, wanting to have all this stuff, and of course, my dad told me, "You want a car? You're paying for it on your own." That was the way it was. But we were on vacation summer. Right before I turned 16 in Arkansas and going around up there. And we end up passing this car lot, this used car lot that had two old, nicely restored convertible Mustangs, a 65 and a 66. And immediately, man, my head just whipped around. And I was like, let's look at these cars. And my, my dad and I immediately connected on a whole new level. See, my dad's first car was a 66 Mustang. And as soon as I started talking classic Mustangs, whoa, everything began to open up in a whole new way in my dad's heart. So we spent the rest of the vacation looking at these old Mustangs and began to kind of do a crash course on restoration, getting the magazines, looking at the fenders and the parts. And we ended up coming back and looking at Mustangs. My mom even got involved and we'd set a budget. And it was a solid budget. There was a number of cars we looked at that could have got a, a good solid uh, running Mustang, and uh, my mom got involved. We went and looked at one, and she was running zero to 60 times in this, somebody else's car. It was kind of funny. And uh, so we're looking at all these cars, and I'm cruising through the Thrifty Nickel all the time, and I come upon this one ad. And as I'm looking at it, it's just detailing this car. It's a 67. And it just has, it's just so much has been done to it. And, of course, they give the price. Now, the price was twice the budget. And my dad had already pushed the budget. And this car was twice the budget. Not just a little over budget, it was double the budget. And so I knew this was such a long shot. So I went ahead and kind of showed my dad the ad anyways and let him see the ad. And we decided we're just going to go look at this car to see what that kind of money will buy on a classic Mustang. We've been looking at these lowers, not as well taken care of. So we drive up, make the appointment, we drive up few houses away the guy had it sitting in his driveway waiting on us and you can just see the aura 
the gleam. This car was Acapulco blue. If you don't know what that co color is, it is like this candy blue. It is just gorgeous blue, like the deepest bluest sea. It's just awesome. This car had three coats of paint, seven coats of clear. It, this car looked drippy, wet, dirty. I'm telling you, this car was so beautiful, you just wanted to lick it. I mean, it was just <laughs> incredible. It had the, the car, the engine had been rebuilt, it had been bored 30 over, had the dual exhaust with glass packs, had the styled steel wheels, had the console, factory air, two-tone interior. This car was absolutely gorgeous. I just, I cannot tell you how beautiful this car was. And we're looking at it and I'm just drooling. And luckily I see a little bit of drool on my dad's face too. And uh, we come back from... Looking at it, I know there's just no way. And as a process of hashing this out, my dad does the absolute unthinkable and decides we're going to buy this car and get this car for my first car. I'm talking a show-quality Mustang. This thing was sweet. And uh, we didn't have that kind of money on hand. Had to wait a few weeks. Felt like an eternity to shake it loose out of an investment, get the money in, get this car. I finally get the car. I get my driver's license in that car, and it is just awesome. Well, something in me with this car went haywire. I just, I became a person I had never, ever been. I became this, just this, this rude, selfish, aggressive person. Anybody that knows me knows I'm not a, like I want to fight you aggressive kind of guy. But what, one of the first times I take my buddies on a ride and they're fighting over who's going to ride in shotgun and they, they bump the door. Those Mustangs had long doors and they bump it on the next car handle and chip my perfect, perfect paint. I go over there and I just punch the first one I come to and yell at both of them, get in the back seat. It freaked them out so bad they both climbed into the back seat. And I get in and I'm driving along like I'm the chauffeur with two of my buddies in the back. And I'm just seething. Another time we go to lunch and this, everybody knew how much I love this car. And the guy decides he's going to put chicken nuggets. Chicken nuggets. Chicken nuggets can't hurt a car. And he said some chicken nuggets on my hood. And I just got so mad that these greasy chicken nuggets were sitting on my car. And I'd seen him do it. We drive off. I get back to school and I hunt him down in Permian Hall. And I jack him up against the lockers. And I'm just being insane this person i've never been before and never been since it became its worst when somebody keyed the car and they key my car and they don't just key it they key it all the way down and they write the word stupid in the side of my door and i'm 16 years old and i'm telling you i had vivid fantasies of taking my dad's shotgun i'm serious the Bible says you're a murderer in your heart. I've had to be forgiven for murder because I really would have killed somebody. I was that insane over this car. I'd only got, I only had it a few months. My birth, I have an October birthday. I'd only been driving it a few months, first part of January. We're going back to school, first few days after Christmas break, and I pick up my best friend. We go to pick, I go to pick him up, and my sisters are in the back seat. Well, my youngest sister plays or played the devil instrument inspired by the devils the clarinet it's a horrible instrument why because it's carried around in a little square case it's got these little sharp corners on it and she's in the back seat and i'm pulling out of my driveway and she's banging that clarinet around 
and I can just see her gouging my pristine Mustang vinyl with the corners of this. And I'm telling Heather, Heather, put it right there. She's like, where? Clink, 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 clink. And I said, Heather, put it right there. And I'm just boiling. And she's like, where? Clink, clink, clink. And I said, put it right there. And I pulled the wheel with me when I turned around. And I was about two blocks down the street, and I never saw that parked Trans Am. And I just smash my car into that parked Trans Am. Next thing I know, the side of my face has hit that steering wheel. Of course, all the fluids are pouring all out. My sister's seen way too many 80s TV shows where things blow up automatically. They're freaking out. They hear the fluids leaking. I get them out of the car. I sit them on the curb. I'm looking at the car, and I'm telling you, all hope and will to live, as stupid as that sounds, drain from my body, as stupid as it sounds. And I literally, I literally, I went and laid down in my street hoping somebody would come and run over me. I'm serious. The only person that drove up was my mother. And she drives up in our Suburban, and she wouldn't run over me. <laughs> I think she would have after, because she pulls up, and the scene, I didn't even think about it till later, she sees the car smash, my sister sitting on the curb crying, and my body laying in the road. That's what she pulls up to. So when she comes up beside me, and I pop up, she was not very enthusiastic that I wasn't really hurt. And so she's getting her composure, and I'm just a blubbering idiot, and I am so terrified of facing my dad. My dad had lavished me with this incredible gift of love, and I had just, in my insanity, had totally, totally messed it up. See, these three major areas get involved in this story, and the first one is that when you look at your notes, it says, idolizing something other than God. See, that car had become an idol to me. I had wrapped my identity in it. I had wrapped everything in that car. You know, the, so many things. We don't use the word idol all the time except for American Idol or that kind of stuff. But anything can become an idol. It's anything we put in front of God. Our talents, our family, our job, our hobbies, any kind of thing that we put and we worship and sacrifice for and do all those things more than we do for God becomes an idol. John 1, 5, 20 says, We know also that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know who is true. And we are in Him who is true, even the Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God in eternal life. Dear children, keep yourselves from idols. We've got to stay focused on Jesus. That's what Easter Sunday is all about, is remembering the sacrifice that was given so that we could have relationship again. The next one was the fact that I was so stinking self-centered. Self-centered ultimately crowds out everyone but you, including God. It, it, self-centeredness crowds out everything. It got down that I didn't care that my friends didn't want to be around me anymore. I was me and my car, and I was cool with that. That was all I cared about. Self-centeredness gets in there. See, James 3.16 says, For where envy and selfish ambition are, there you'll find disorder and every evil practice. It was out of that selfish ambition and that, that thing of self-preservation, that self-centeredness. And then the last thing I did was, I just flat, was not believing. Not believing that God loves us and is for us will stop us in our tracks. See, Hebrews 11.6 says, Without faith it's impossible to please God, and because anyone, <clears throat> because anyone who comes to God must believe that He exists 
and that He rewards those who earnestly seek Him. See, in Mark chapter 9, Jesus tells us everything is possible for him who believes. And then the guy says, I do believe, but help my own belief. Just start where you're at. But man, I had given up. I did not see a life for myself after the destruction of that car. And what I did see, I didn't want. I just quit. It just, there was no hope. See, when we look at this, if you look back over your notes, you see the idolatry. You see the self-centeredness and the not believing I-S-N. See, that's just sin all jumbled up. And see, sin's this big churchy word, but all it is is putting life in the wrong order. God's given us all things to enjoy, but when we put them in the wrong order, then, man, that's when things get out of whack and it just doesn't work. I want to show you a little video here of what it's like whenever we're actually moving in the wrong direction and God reverses things, unexpectedly brings beautiful results. I'm lost in blindness and I refuse to believe that I can see. One has to accept a life of darkness. Years from now, I can only tell my children not to believe that simple grace triumphs over utter darkness. I was born in sin, and I was conceived in sin. It doesn't matter to God that I live every day of my life in hopelessness. No longer can it be said that there is a God who hears the cries of His people. My whole life testifies to one truth. Blindness has robbed me of every good thing. And it is no longer true that God saves those who are crushed in spirit. Now, I don't know much, but I know one thing for sure. I was born blind with no hope and no future. But then I met Jesus, and he turned everything in my life upside down. I was born blind with no hope and no future. Now, I don't know much, but I know one thing for sure. God saves those who are crushed in spirit. And it is no longer true that blindness has robbed me of every good thing. My whole life testifies to one truth. There is a God who hears the cries of His people. No longer can it be said that I live every day of my life in hopelessness. It doesn't matter to God that I was born in sin and I was conceived in sin. Simple grace triumphs over utter darkness. Years from now, I can only tell my children not to believe that one has to accept a life of darkness. I can see, and I refuse to believe that I am lost in blindness. God's ultimate response to our failures is not what we expected. God wants to take those things and begin to turn them around. See, Romans 8, I mean 5, 8 says, But God demonstrates, demonstrates His own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That day after that wreck, I physically went into shock. I went into the shakes, I went into, got cold, I went into shock. 
from just the emotional trauma. I wasn't physically hurt, and I was so afraid of facing my dad. My mom calls and lets him know what's happened, and uh, he gets off work and begins to, to head in. I don't talk to my dad. I, I, don't, I don't get to see him or talk to him. And uh, my mom comes and tells me uh, to pack a bag. That was not what I wanted to hear. We were, uh, she was taking, they were taking me and my sisters to uh, my grandmother's house in Andrews, Texas. We load up, we drive the 30 minutes to Andrews. They drop us off for the weekend. My dad doesn't talk to me. They go to Rio Doso for the weekend, my mom and my dad, so my dad can process. They come back. I agonize the whole weekend. My dad walks in the door. My dad doesn't talk to me. We get loaded up, drive back the 30 minutes. My dad doesn't talk to me. We unload. My dad doesn't talk to me. We're there at the house. My dad doesn't talk to me. We have no, we've had no interaction since the wreck. Zero. Finally, I'm avoiding him in our house, and we're both coming. He's at one end of the living room. I'm coming up from the other end of the living room, and I'm, I'm walking through, and I see my dad's form coming at me. And so I just step aside. I just make way. My dad steps aside and steps in front of me. And I'm like, oh, crud. Here it comes. And my dad, he doesn't say a word. He steps in front of me and he grabs me and he hugs me. And we both just sit there in the living room and we just cry over that silly car. It really had nothing to do with the car. It's the fact that our relationship had been hurt. There had been something come in between. And for the first time in my life ever, I saw my dad cry. For the first time in my mom's married married life, she saw my dad cried, and we just sat there and cried. And our relationship was restored. See, I love Easter because I deserved the judgment. I deserved the chewing. I was a jerk. I did everything wrong and totally trampled on the love and the grace that my dad had shown me in that car. But my dad's love for me was more than what justice said. And my dad went off to the mountains in Riodoso and he vented his anger there so that when we reconnected, it wasn't about my mistakes. It was about the fact that we love each other and that wasn't going to change. See, our sin deserved judgment. And that mountain called Calvary is where God vented His wrath on Jesus. It was totally poured out there. So that when you and I connect later, it isn't about that anymore. It isn't about our mistakes. It isn't about the sin, even though we deserve the justice. We deserve the penalty. It's already been dealt with at that mountain. It was poured out there. And then when we reconnect, it is all about grace. See, God made the first move. And there are a few things that we've got to do in response to Him. The first one is go to God. Just go to Him. Matthew eleven twenty eight says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. 
See, then we have to remember who we are. I told, all I saw myself was the guy, the jerk who wrecked my dad's car. I forgot that I was a son. Too many times we forget that we were made in the image of God to be with Him forever. As our primary creation, we have to remember who we are. God wants to redeem us. Remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David. This is my gospel. Then the middle one, that's the, one of the hardest ones around. It's accept your acceptance. We so want to do something to earn it. I so wanted to put it back. I, I so wanted, I wanted to wake up and then it was all a bad dream. I, there was nothing I could do. And my dad offered me acceptance. All I could do was stand there and cry and accept the acceptance. Accept one another then just as Christ has accepted you in order to bring praise to God. Then the last one or the next one is connect with the body of Christ. Connect with Christian community. That's what we are about. That's what this church thing, body of Christ thing is about. Healing comes. I'm telling you that hug healed me. If we try to skirt and avoid the other believers as fouled up as we are, as messed as we up where we are, we only get healing when God presents His love through each other. And we have to be around each other to do that. That's why we've got to connect with the body of Christ. It is so important. Now you are the body of Christ and each one of you is part of it. And then we also, the last of all, we have to embrace the life that God wants to give you. God wants to move you forward. It doesn't just stay there. Oh, I'm just this old sinner saved by grace. Yes, we are. But God wants to move us forward into the creation, the new creation He designed us to be. And we have to embrace that new life God has for us. See, 1 Corinthians 2, 9 says, However it is written, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love Him. We are alive in Christ. I want to show you one more little video. How do I know? I know because I was restless. How do I know? Because I was wild. Because I was addicted. I was lost. Because I was empty. I know because I was living behind a mask. How do I know Jesus is alive? Because he lives in me. Jesus did what no one else could do for me. He took the punishment for my failures, my wrong decisions, my selfishness, my pride, and my sin. He was beaten, he was mocked, he was tortured, crucified, and buried for me. But on the third day, he did exactly what he said he would do. Jesus rose up and walked right out of the tomb. Summer of 1985. July of 2007. February 2005. June 2003. And in August 1995. He walked into my life. And I've never been the same since. Me 
Now I am truly living. Now I am sober. I am at peace. I am fulfilled. Now I am free. Now I'm found. My God. My Savior. My best friend. My Lord. My Jesus. Is alive. The tomb may be empty, but my heart is full. Sin and grace are the two most important realities of life. Sin separates us from God. But grace connects us to God. Romans 5, 20 through 21 says, The law was added so that the trespass might increase. But where sin increased, grace increased all the more. So that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through the righteousness to bring life through Jesus Christ our Lord. See, I love Romans eight thirty seven. Knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. You and I have to embrace the grace that God has for us from this day, from resurrection day forward. God has nothing but good in store for you and I. He has nothing but good in store for you and I. Right quick, I want to make an opportunity for those here, 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 for those here.